0: Hi, welcome to the Accidental Marketer podcast. I'm Mary Abazia and I'm joined by Tom Spitali, who's my partner and co-author of The Accidental Marketer, and Sean Wellam, who leads our European operation for our consulting firm, the Impact Planning Group. Uh, Hey, Sean, Tom, you there?
1: Hi, Mary. Yep,
2: hey, Mary, hey, Tom.
0: Hey, so, you know, this, as always, our podcasts are designed for accidental marketers. And that may be you, or it may be someone you work with. So we're continuing our series where we deep dive into the chapters of our book. And today uh, we are focused on chapter six, which is entitled, What Were They Smoking? And um, (laughs) so, Tom, you got to give us the story on this one. What does this mean, and where did you get the title for this one?
1: Well, the center center case in the entire chapter is this idea of two completely divergent paths, one taken by Volkswagen when they entered the luxury car business with their Phaeton, which was a colossal failure, and the other path taken by Toyota when they introduced their luxury brand, Lexus, which has been a huge success. It really illustrates this concept that we talk about all the time of outside in when the phaeton was launched it was launched because the chairman had a pet project where he wanted to kind of get back at some luxury car competitors that he was mad at that he thought were infringing on his space and the first thing he did was create a list that he penned himself of 10 things he wanted the car to have and sent it to his engineers to to start building it whereas the first thing that lexus did toyota did with their lexus brand is they sent three engineers to laguna beach california to live amongst luxury car buyers to learn their habits and their needs and of course those the paths diverge completely from there and 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 the chapter kind of goes on to talk about you know how the Phaeton failed how the lexus succeeded and it illustrates a really, really important tool, our favorite and most important tool, called the ability to compete. Mary,
0: mm, yeah, 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 and it is one of my favorites. Um, we call it. We we have a couple of terms for it because we love it so much. We have the ability to compete, the ability to win. And actually, even sometimes we call it the ability to satisfy. So it has a couple of different titles, but we, uh, we do think that this is a great way, as you said, to be more outside in as you look at this and as you describe the difference between Lexus and our uh, Phaeton. Sean, can you describe a bit of the key elements and um, how does it work?
2: Well the ability to compete that's the, I tend to be my default for it but but I, I take your point, people call it all sorts of things, but what it really does is says, "Look, what are the the critical things the the things about my product or service that are that that people rank as important when they're making a, a purchase decision so with the ability to compete, we need to understand what it is that people are evaluating." us against what what are the criteria the decision criteria how important each of those criteria are in relation to each other and then this is the critical part how well your customers perceive you in delivering against that criteria so it's essentially we're trying to map the customer's mind We're, we're imagining a rational customer we know they don't exist right so we're taking a a step towards that by saying, look, if a customer was faced with a rational choice, what would be the decision points they would consider before they made a decision? And what would their choices be in terms of alternate suppliers? And how would they rank each supplier against those criteria? And with a little bit of, 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 uh, of fairly straightforward maths, we derive a score. And that score represents your ability to compete in that market with this customer, with this product, and it's relative to the competition they've identified. So it's a pretty neat way of bringing all of those factors into one single tool and then simplifying the outcome with a a single score.
0: Yeah, kind of like the window to the customer's mind or something. Um, Yeah, so Tom, what is the secret to getting this right?
1: I think the secret to getting it right is to do something that's really really hard for anybody that's working within the four walls of an organization and that is to be really objective about what customers perceptions are of your abilities as those abilities have been broken down in the manner that sean just described funny thing happens Uh, When you begin to work for an organization, we've talked about it in previous podcasts, you legitimately become a cheerleader. (laughs) You begin drinking the Kool-Aid and you tend to think that your products and services are automatically superior just because you make them. And what this really does is it causes you to be extremely objective about what it is that you're offering and how good you're doing it and how well the competitors are doing it as well. And at the end of the day, it it develops a score, a number, as Sean alluded to earlier, that really does represent the value that you are delivering in this marketplace from the mind of the customer, which is the only thing that really matters, and what the value is that the the competitors are delivering. And 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 allows you to 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 really start to understand what you have to do to truly differentiate and bring unique value into the marketplace.
0: Wow, it sounds like kind of like a net promoter score in a way, a new version of that. Is that Sean? Do you want to add to that?
2: Yeah, I I think it's. I'm not sure about the net promoter score because that that it, it does sum up right, you know, how likely are you to buy our product and therefore how likely are you to recommend it? How how pleased are you with it? Um and I think there is some parallels between those two. But the key to me is is um is that relative point of difference because there's no you know good score or bad score, absolutely. It's it's all down to what do you have to do? Because often you'll find, I mean, in a perfect world, you'll have the highest ability to compete score and therefore you're in a very strong market position. In reality, it's more common that you'll be very close to your principal competitors and sometimes you'll be behind maybe your leading competitor. And it gives you a way of, of, of getting a roadmap towards how you improve those scores. So those sort of flags that you plant as to where you currently are, it's really only the start of it. This is a moment in time. The real strategy comes in moving that needle along, you know, and and no doubt we'll talk about that on a future podcast.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite articles that, that um, you guys wrote was um, SWAT is dead. Um, SWAT meaning strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, which is a surrogate. A lot of times if you ask companies, you know, do you, do you have a strategy or have you been working on strategy and, they're very proud and saying that, yeah, I did my SWOT analysis, and um, you know what we've seen as a trap, kind of adding to you know what what's good practices or bad practices is SWAT traps you in that past, um, and you do what you've always done because you're good at doing that old stuff, um, and just as you guys have just said with the outside in and being more objective, SWAT doesn't provide that. Um, what? This does I think, as we look as, as I know, as we've watched companies use it and turn the corner uh, to be able then to see what their real strengths and weaknesses are through the customers' eyes and what their opportunities and threats are in more of a reality base so does either of you want to add to to the SWAT is dead thought
2: uh, I mean I, I agree with the sentiment sWAT is, is a is a useful tool for gathering data but it's not really an analytical tool it doesn't give you insight it doesn't take you anywhere you end up going like you know so what that's kind of probably what it it, it alludes to um i did want to throw one other thing in because it comes up a lot i don't know about if you guys see this but ability to compete uh, and pricing you know you often see the most common criteria for competing tends to be price and we're very strict on keeping that out of the equation because we, we look at it as if everything costs the same. That's an important part of this, right? Cause we want to get to the essence of, of how people decide and then solve for price. So what price can we charge based on this? And it's just one thing that I don't know if you, maybe it's just me, but so often when you're explaining the criteria for competitiveness, people scratch their head and say, why isn't price part of that? But it really isn't. We, we treat that separately and come to it later.
1: Yeah, Sean, I agree. You've hit you know, something I feel really passionate about. When when people start the ability to compete analysis, as you said, they, they often want to say when they're breaking down the buying criteria or the benefits sought by the customer, they, they want to put, and legitimately so, they want to put low price um, in, in, into one of the, the five or six boxes that we give them. And what I like to say is, You know, we're solving for value here, and price is such an important part of the analysis that it has its own tool, which, by the way, we're going to talk about uh, in Chapter 10 uh, podcast. We'll talk about pricing in a tool called the perceived value analysis. But the idea is to keep the ability to compete pure, is what things besides price do customers care about when they're trying to make a buying decision in this category? Let's do it purely without price and then bring price into it later as almost its own separate analysis. Mary, you agree?
0: Yeah, I totally do. Um, And and I for a lot of reasons that you want to keep this pure, not only because then you have a really clean way to then ask the question about value and price, but also when you look at this ability to compete, it's a cornerstone for being able to identify you know, where should we focus? Um, the chapter that we talk about with differentiation, it's just you have to get this right, and you do have to validate it. Do you, um, Tom, you have some ways of, of validating more. Um, would, you, would you share a couple of things? Just this has to be so right. Can you share how to get it so right?
1: Yeah, the reaction that we often get when we do this analysis in a workshop setting and, and, and as if you can imagine, you're, you're in a room and you're thinking about customers' needs and their perceptions. You don't actually usually have customers in the room. So people are you know, making big assumptions, but they do this analysis and they see the power of developing this ability to compete number for themselves and their competitors to, to measure their uniqueness. And they often say to us, wow, wouldn't this be great if I really trusted this analysis and knew it was right? And, of course, the way to get it right is to truly ask customers. Um, and and you see a lot of surveys and customer research out there that ask the kind of questions that this uh, ability to compete analysis asks. You just see them kind of like being done separately, right? People say, you know, what's important to you when you're choosing you know, a, a, a supplier in this category and what, you know, and the, they'll ask you to kind of weight those those benefits against each other. Maybe separately on uh, a different survey, uh, companies will ask you to rate providers on a scale of one to 10, one to five, one to eight, whatever, uh, as to who delivers and who doesn't in particular aspects of a value proposition. So this kind of uh, of data is asked for all the time. Companies just need to, um, you know, figure out uh, how they can set aside some budget to do it. And, um, you know, there's some some really exciting new ways to get this kind of information um, that are, are emerging through things like social media listening and web scraping where people are talking about products and services. And even without convening a focus group, you can begin to gather this kind of information. But it's just really, really super important to try to, um, you know, get customer input to the pieces of this and, and, and you'll have truly a, a, a really a competitive weapon um, because this will help you make great decisions uh, on your products and services.
0: Yeah.
2: I guess the other thing, Tom, is the, 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 the ultimate validation because we're ultimately dealing with a real life situation. Is that that little checkpoint at the end of does this reflect reality as you perceive it today? So, in other words, if you've done all the calculations, you've listed all the criteria, you've weighted, you've scored, and and whatnot, do you then look at it and say, well, we appear to be twice as good as our nearest competitor? You just have to have that reality check, also, of saying, is that really the case? You know, shouldn't shouldn't that be reflected in our market share or our sales performance? And and the opposite is also true if you've if you show yourself as as being really low as an ability to compete score, does that also reflect reality? So sometimes the validation as well as going out and getting the real voice of the customer, um, there's that useful checkpoint at the end of it, sort of stepping back and saying, does that look right? Because you have that intuitive feel before you start this exercise as to where you line up competitively. and if you're massively disconnected, you know, that's sometimes a, a little warning sign time for a, time. for. Yeah. A I
0: love that. Well, yeah, I, I like what you said, Sean, because when that's the fun part of a workshop or working with clients, when they get to that point where they step back and look at it and either they go, wow, this really does look like, you know, the situation of market shares with these other competitors and the elements that are allowing them to win and us not. Um, or it's like, uh oh you know we were missing some big things here that we need to work on so it's either the aha or the oh no moment typically hits about then and even if it's not perfect it's nice to start down that path and it will get better and better as Tom said when you validate it more and then Sean as you said you continue to gut check this um
2: and that sometimes the most powerful question you get from this is is what are we including in this analysis that actually isn't that important or at least isn't discriminatory in terms of buying decision? And, and probably most importantly, what are we missing? What are we not evaluating ourselves against that customers are finding important? Because that's the, that's the, uh, the real secret of this. If you want to, as you said earlier, Mary, sort of a window into the customer's mind, you're not the customer. And sometimes if it's a massively disconnected from reality, it's usually one of those two things. You're, you're counting something that doesn't count or you're missing something that really. Yeah. Doesn't.
0: And also we've seen where, um, we talked about lukewarm tea in segmentation chapter. If, if this is done kind of, um, at too high a level, not really thinking about one type of customer group or one type of a customer segment, um, it, it, it's it's vanilla, you know, so being able to get this to a segment or customer group level to do this analysis, as you're saying, Sean, you're getting deeper into the right windows of the right customer minds to try to sort this out. Mm -hmm. But it's funny, we can take a completely chaotic situation. And once we're done with this analysis, everyone at least knows what the to do list is. (laughs) Tom, do you want to comment on that, too?
1: yeah no I completely agree. it It does drive a um, a hunger for even you know specific types of customer research when, as Sean says, you look step back from and you say, you know what's missing from this picture because we thought we had this analysis right. But we look at the bottom line and we realize it's not matching or reflecting the market share situation. We really need to go out and talk to our customers more because we are so obviously missing something that's really important. Either there's a benefit that they're seeking that we haven't captured or we're over or underrating ourselves or competitors as we begin to rate them uh, for the analysis.
0: So, this is this is a great discussion. Um, we really hope that you've enjoyed this topic. Obviously, we have so much passion for it. We could go on for <laughs> for days. but um, we're gonna wrap this up, and we look forward to you joining us for uh, future episodes where you see how this this concept and tool actually get um, leveraged in future chapters as well. Thank you very much.